Hello, hello, hello. So we're going to go down the road that I was supposed to have gone down Tuesday. But you know, life, it just sucks sometimes. Sometimes. What I wanted to talk about today was, or Tuesday was, the four F's, the trauma responses. And what is your trauma response? Knowing your trauma response and knowing how we react to things or how our brain sort of overcompensated and went and grabbed one trauma response over another consistently will explain a lot. And we, we can, when we know that, we'll be able to use the other trauma responses appropriately. Trauma responses really are innate. Welcome to Digging Through Dominoes, a podcast that looks at mental, physical, and emotional trauma through real and inspiring conversations. This is your safe haven that welcomes you in, but also isn't afraid to talk about what hurts the most. And now, here's your host, Terry Anderson. The four F's, as they are known, are innate protective strategies our brain uses. They consist of fight, flight, fawn, and freeze. When used appropriately, when you grow up in a stable, healthy, good enough relationship, household, parenting, you're able to reach from each of the four F's, the flight, fight, fawn, and freeze appropriately. But what about when you're a little kid and you have to use one of them continually to survive? That's when it becomes a problem and it becomes lifelong because what we learn as kids stays with us and that's how the outside world sees us and how we see the outside world. People are scary to us. Situations are scary. So we revert to what everyone does, what we learned in childhood. I saw this healing from complex trauma and PTSD, CPTSD from Lily Hope Lusario. This pretty much says it all without having to go further, but I'm going to go further because, you know, that's what we do. Childhood complex trauma survivors have no pre-trauma identity. We have no idea what it's like not to be surviving abuse, not to feel fear, severe anxiety, hypervigilance, hurt, pain, and suffering. We have absolutely no point of reference to understand normal. I kind of have a problem with that word normal. I think it comes from having a son that was affected with autism. And, and so I, I sort of gravitated to using the word, word typical because what is normal? Normal is whatever you grow up with. That's what's normal to you. But what she says is we have no point of reference to understand normal. Trauma is our normal and compassion is vital. Compassion, not only from others understanding what are trying to understand what we're going through and being patient with us, but we need to understand ourselves. That way we can look back and say, oh yeah, that makes sense. What can I do to counteract that so this doesn't happen again? So that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. And I loved coming across this because it really, really identified, I think, especially the fact that we have no identity pre-trauma, no point of reference, that that was healing in itself because it made me realize, hey, I didn't know what it was like not to be afraid all the time, not to stay in my room, not to be locked out of, locked out of, locked out of the house not to be sat in a corner for hours on end and feel that fear of your father's coming home. 
It was a constant state of fear. Walking on eggshells my entire life up until now, it has been constant. I'll say the last couple of years really have helped me see exactly what I've been through, how what trauma responses I've gravitated to and how how to work on changing those. It's it's been remarkable. And I once again, most of this information, it's funny when I'm when I was researching from for this, every article I pulled up online referenced Dr. P. Walker, who wrote Complex PTSD from Surviving to Thriving. If you don't have that book, this is not affiliated. This is not sponsored. I'm just saying that book saved my life. Or, I well, yeah, it saved my life, but it also made life going forward easier and looking back at life understandable. So for me, his book was life-changing. I will leave that in the show notes below along with a link so you can purchase that. As I said, this is not sponsored by Pete Walker. I just think this book is invaluable and would be a great tool in anyone's arsenal that's trying to recover from a traumatized childhood. So when we're talking about CPTSD or PTSD, we're talking about people that have experienced events so stressful that our trauma responses become dysregulated. In other words, we don't know which one to pull from because we are so reliant on the one that's underlying or sometimes two that has been underlying that has served us well to keep us alive. And what we tend to do is instead of using the the four Fs, the trauma responses to protect us as they're meant to do, we We feel constantly threatened and we're not able to leave that state of mind. We become fixated, if you will. Psychologists generally recognize the four Fs as altered states that make up trauma response. Fight, flight, freeze, fawn. Now, what a trauma response is, many of you know this and many of you don't know You know, I had no idea starting therapy what the heck a trauma response was. I had no idea I had CPTSD. I had been misdiagnosed and went down that whole road and it was just a huge cluster as many of you have experienced in your own lives. Okay, a trauma response is a reflexive use of over-adaptive coping mechanisms in real or perceived presence of trauma, a traumatic event According to trauma therapist Cynthia M-A-L-C-S-W, when we experience things that are so traumatic and so stressful, it sends our amygdala, the part of the brain that we spoke about in the previous session about emotional flashbacks, it sends it into overdrive. And we see threats where there really are no threats. Sometimes we see the real threats and sometimes we don't. With me, what I found out is I see threats in situations where there really aren't threats, but I don't really see threats in situations where there are severe threats. So I'm just like all discombobulated here. Hope that makes sense. There was a study done about the neurological effects of trauma. And in that, in that study, it showed our bodies are designed to perceive threats through near instantaneous reflexive survival behaviors, the four Fs. In the short-term strategy, chemicals are sent into our bloodstreams to activate, to activate the sympathetic nervous system's defense. But when stress responses are constantly triggered, like all the time, every minute, every day, no matter what, there's not enough time to metabolize the chemicals and our nervous system overloads and dysregulates. And what that does, it puts us in the middle, the targeted area of survival. As our body shifts into a state of sympathetic, nervous system dominance. 
spiritually, mentally, emotionally, if those don't become resolved, we get stuck. And in that frozen, stuck state, our body will respond uniquely in the form of a trauma response. Okay, so enough about trauma responses. I mean, what what the heck, I need my water. What the heck are they? A little ASMR there for you with my water. All right, let's talk about the goods and the bads of the four F responses. I'm going to be taking this from Pete Walker's book, From Surviving to Thriving, Complex PTSD, From Surviving to Thriving. And he speaks that people who present, who have good enough parenting, as we said, are pretty flexible in the way that they respond to danger because they have access, access to all of the 4F responses instead of relying on just one or two. Now, the positive, there are positive and negative characteristics of each response, each category. And that's where we get into trouble when we only rely on one or two. We get stuck there. The positive characteristics of the four Fs. When we go to fight, we have assertiveness, boundaries, courage, moxie, and leadership. When we get to flight, we have disengagement, healthy retreat, industriousness, know-how, and perseverance. Now, when we get to freeze, we have acute awareness, mindfulness, poised readiness, peace, and presence. When we get to fawn, we have love and service, compromise, listening, fairness, and peacemaking. Those are pretty great attributes. Guess what? We can access all of those if we know which ones we've shut off or which ones we're overusing. All right, so that is what we have for the positive characteristics of the four Fs. Now, some of the ones that aren't so great, the characteristics are things such as this. In the fight, response if if fight if the if the fight response is one of your first choices there's a high rate of narcissism explosive controlling entitlement type a workaholics bullies autocrats demands perfection or their level their um their idea of perfection they can be sociopaths and have a conduct disorder. Now, when we get to the flight, the negative characteristics of the flight response are things like obsessive compulsive, panicky, rushing or worrying, and that's when we're trying to outrun our pain, drivenness, adrenaline junkie, busyholic, never being able to sit still and take a rest, micromanager, compelled by perfectionism. Now with the freeze response, what we get is disassociation. I have been there. Hiding and camouflaging. That's me again. Isolation. Yeah, that's me. Couch potato, yeah, I'm on the computer all the time or I'm playing a game. I'm distracting myself. I know I am. I need to stop. Hermits, yeah, I, I kind of have learned to keep people at arm's length. I used to think I didn't, but I think I always pretty much have. Achievement phobic. That was me and that's me because I never believed I was good enough to achieve my goals, my dreams. Now, before I get to the last one, let me say and make this bit of a disclaimer that you can have parts of each one of these. It's just that you over rely on those and you don't use the healthy responses of the other Fs. So when we get into fawning, we have codependence, servitude and groveling, loss of self, people pleaser, doormat, slave, 
social perfectionism, DV victim, parentified child. Okay, social perfectionism, that kind of rang a bell for me because socially, yeah, no one. Actually, I shouldn't say no one because people did come up to me afterwards after my divorce and say, hey, is this what's going on? Because I noticed this and this and this with you. But I really try to be a, pretty much a social butterfly, but it's, it's also kind of a lie because I keep to myself a lot, but I do love to be around people. Now, Pete Walker says that CPTSD can be used as an, can be seen as an attachment disorder. And that's when we overly rely on one of the four F's for our trauma response. Instead of trying to pull out of the bag of tricks that we've been given, our brain has been trained as children that there are certain things that worked. We may have tried all of them as children, but we found some of them worked with our parents and some of them didn't. And so our brain sort of imprinted those. And that sort of took us on the ride of our life and how we dealt with things for the rest of our life. P. Walker says, excessive alliance on Fight, flight, freeze, or fawn response is a traumatized child's unconscious attempt to cope with constant danger. It's also a strategy to strengthen the illusion that their parents really care about them. That's pretty sad and pretty relatable. P. Walker goes on to say that many fight types avoid relationships, real relationships, or intimacy by alienating others with their angry, controlling demands. And he believes that this is an unconscious way to gain the love and approval they did not receive as children. He says, P. Walker says, moreover, some fight types delude themselves into believing they are perfect. They see the partner, the other one, As the one who needs to be perfect, they're the ones that are causing the problems in the relationship they feel. This defensive belief then entitles them to totally blame the partner for relationship problems. He also goes on to to talk about a lot of fight types try to stay perpetually busy, working all the time, always doing something. And his theory is that is for them to avoid being triggered with those old nagging memories that they're not perfect. If they stay busy all the time, if they work all the time, they don't have to stop and think, why am I not doing something? Something's wrong with me because I'm not busy all the time. Freeze types hide away in their room, in books, in the computer, in video games, in TV to avoid what's, I don't see it, it's not there. I think you all know what I'm talking about. He says they, and this is sad, that they like, they prefer to stay in the rooms or stay at home as a hermit because they don't think the world has anything to hold for them. It holds nothing for them. So why do anything? Many fawn types avoid emotional investment and potential disappointment by barely showing themselves. And these are Pete Walker's words. They hide behind their helpful personas and over-listen, over-elicit, and overdo for the other. By over-focusing on their partners, they then do not have real risk of self-exposure and the possibility of deeper level rejection. So now let's move on to some of the things with the fight types the, or the four Fs. Fight types a lot of times are narcissistic. And narcissistic is not, you know, it's become one of those words that's thrown around a lot. You know, people are taking selfies. People want to look nice. People are doing things. That's not narcissism. Narcissism really is a fear of abandonment, a fear of rejection, and a fear that they are not worth what other people are worth. And so they self-inflate. Pete Walker says that fight types are unconsciously driven 
by the belief that power and control can create safety in their lives, that it can quell the abandonment feelings they have, and it can get love. You control someone to gain their love. There's a different type of this fight response. It comes up, actually, Pete says, with spoiled children who are given insufficient limits, no limits at all, and kind of run the household. As a child, you would kind of have to build yourself up to protect yourself. And I've given this this, um, analogy to other people when raising kids or talking about it. And I heard it long ago, and it's, you have two bridges going over a raging river 400 feet below. They're both wooden bridges. One has handrails, one doesn't. Which one do you want to go over? You want to go over the one with the handrails. But so many times in parenting, people don't give boundaries. Also, numerous fight types start out as older siblings that overpower and mistreat their younger siblings. P says that fight types tend to respond to the fear of abandonment with explosive anger. If anyone challenges them, they're just immediately, boom, there is no fuse. I think one of the things that he says that I think is really interesting is many use contempt, which is a poisonous blend of narcissistic rage and disgust, to intimidate and shame others into mirroring them. Narcissists treat others as if they are an extension of themselves. And I'm quoting Pete Walker here again when he talks about in this next paragraph. This is just so fascinating to me. He says the entitled fight type commonly uses others as an audience for his incessant monologuing and may treat a captured freeze or fawn type as a slave in a dominant submission relationship and that the price of admission to that relationship with an extreme narcissist is self-annihilation. And that's really dangerous if you already don't have a sense of self. He says one of his clients once said, narcissists don't have relationships. They take prisoners. Fight types tend to respond with anger and rage to any threats of abandonment or danger or if they perceive anyone trying to make them look bad in front of another person they will just simply explode. Pete Walker describes contempt as a poisonous blend of narcissistic rage and disgust In exerting power over dominance over others fight types heap shame and blame onto loved ones in order to gain power and feel protected from harm. Their safety lies in making others feel unsafe. Narcissists can also frequently fall into these monologues. You can ask them just a couple of questions and they seem nice and charming and everything. And then you're stuck for hours with no way of escape. P. Walker believes that excessive use of power and rage triggers a fearful, emotional withdrawal in their partners, which makes the fight type feel even more abandoned and that vicious cycle just continues. The fight type rages and the partner retreats. And the more the partner retreats, the more the fight type rages. And the more the retreating partner feels abandoned and unloved and goes toward their 4F response, which is probably freezing or fawning. P. Walker has this subset in the fight type called the charming bully, which is just that very charming, very charismatic in the beginning. They can be helpful. They can listen to people other than their targeted victim. They need to have a scapegoat in order to dump all of their hatred, all of their self-disgust, and all of their self-abandonment, everything they feel about themselves. They need to have someone else play scapegoat there. A lot of times the people that they choose are someone different 
than themselves and that they feel that they are weaker. It can be their spouse. It can be their parent. It can be a problem child. It can be an ethnic group. It can be the gays. It can be a different religion. It can be anything other than what they believe. And they will see it all in a negative light and they will dump that, all of their hate, all of their anger, all of their disgust on those groups. The charming bully also will oftentimes spare their favorites unless they happen to get out of line, which rarely happens. They don't see their favorites as someone that really gets out of line. P. Walker goes on to say, if the charming bully is charismatic enough, those close to him will also often, I'm sorry, those close to him will often fail to register the unconscionable meanness of his scapegoating. The bully's favorites often slip into denial and they are relieved that they are not the target. Especially the charismatic bullies may even be admired and seem as great. Being the scapegoated child or spouse of the charming bully is especially, especially problematic, Pete says, because it is very difficult to get anyone to validate what's going on, what's happening with that scapegoated person because the outside world does not see them in that manner. So let's go on to the flight response. Evolutionary, if we, if we look at this flight response, it's, it's, it's in our brains. If something's coming to get us like a bear, we're going to run. That's your flight response. That's what it's intended to do to protect you, to keep you safe. But in traumatizing families, that's not what happened. In flight responses, they can show up as being fidgety, leaving or retreating from a situation, feeling trapped, really jittery, running away from things and responsibilities. Extreme flight types are like a machine or a toy where the, the switch is constantly on and you can't turn it off. They can believe and have this obsessive compulsive trait that makes them believe if they are perfect and everything is in order, people will love them more, people will admire them more, and it sort of get rid, gets rid of the feelings uh, that they felt as a child, never being good enough, being abandoned, being rejected, not being able to live up to their parents' standards. Another thing that they do is they, they rush. They hurry. They want to get more done in a day than they can. And this is distracting them from feeling that pain. If they sit down, if they chill out for a little bit, they feel like they're no good. They feel like they're worthless. They feel like someone is going to see beyond the facade. They're continually working. It's hard to take a break. It's hard to take a vacation. It's hard to relax even. And the guilt that comes with that for these people can be absolutely overwhelming. As children, they were expected to perform. And if they didn't perform, they're going to be on the bad side of the bully. And they don't want that to happen. That is ingrained in their brains. They have no idea that they're doing it. They have no idea what is driving them. A lot of them confuse it with, with work ethic. And yes, there can be people that have very strong work ethics. But you also have to look back at your childhood. Is there something that's triggering my need to have to be going 100% of the time, all of the time. You need to look at that. What are you running from? What are you trying to hide? They have something that is called a left brain disassociation. And that's where they use constant thinking, planning, working to distract themselves from the pain that they might feel otherwise. P. Walker says flight types are also 
prone to becoming addicted to their own adrenaline. And that will put them in a lot of dangerous, a lot of, a lot of dangerous situations. Bungee jumping, bridge jumping. And that adrenaline just helps make them feel better. It's, it makes them feel like they're a better person because they have this adrenaline going. Look at me. I must be better than, than you. I feel better. I feel like a better person because I have all of this stuff going on. I can bridge jump. Yeah, I ride a motorcycle. My husband rides a motorcycle. Maybe that's a part of that. But they're adrenaline junkies. I am in no way an adrenaline junkie. I don't like roller coasters. I don't like bridge jumping. I don't I don't like that adrenaline rush feeling. I can't stand it. To me, it's a it, it's very panicky. They also to keep that adrenaline running can get into obs- compulsive gambling, stimulating substance abuse, and can also as we said before get into the obsessive compulsive disorders. The freeze response, and this is one I am really familiar with. It's also known as the dissociative response. It's when somebody shuts down. One of my brothers is really good at this. They just shut down. When they experience pain, they can shut down physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually especially when they're feeling triggered, when someone has pushed their trigger buttons. And I, I admit I do that. I shut down. I try to turn it off. I didn't used to. I used to fight back in a lot of situations. I've kind of retrained, but what I've done, instead of balancing, I think I've gone more into the shutdown mode. And that's, that's not good. I need, I need to figure out how to fix that. The freeze response can also manifest as feeling numb, experiencing brain fog, memory loss, or completely dissociating from the experience. Now, the freeze response, people with a freeze response have a right brain dissociation, not the left brain dissociation. And they're often the scapegoat or the abandoned child. That was really hard for me to say because I identify with both of those. You know, where the flight type can tend to have their button on the on position all the time, the freeze type often is stuck off. Their switch is pulled off. You know, it's, it's the proverbial deer in a headlight. You stop, you're surveying. You're trying to figure out, if I do this, what's going to happen? If I do that, what's going to happen? You're overwhelmed and you just shut down. You stop, you freeze, you dissociate. Now, I dissociated really well. I got really good at that. After my parents died and after, my gosh, my grandson died, my son was hit by a car, I had a motorcycle accident, All of this trauma had happened and we had a lot of trauma happening in the house because of the foster kids, because of just too many adoptions. I froze. I just shut down. But when, you know, when I read this about being the scapegoat or the abandoned child, that hits me really, really hard. Now what Pete says next here for me isn't quite true. He's talking about Um, The freeze type or the, yeah, the freeze type not being allowed to successfully employ fight, flight, or fawn responses. I can see myself in each one of those categories for different things. I fought the schools. I fought, I fought for my kids. I fought people that came against my kids. I fought people that made my kids embarrassed to come home. I fought people that were allowing my my uh, mentally ill son to be abused and bullied at school. I fought, gosh, unethical car dealers. And I didn't, but I didn't fight for myself a lot. I tried, but it really wasn't the right way. Mine was more of a reactive response. 
to the physical abuse I had received in my first marriage. It was like, I'm going to be hit. I need to hit. And that was like really wrong. The disassociation with the freeze type lets you forget, not think about the abandonment, the pain, the bullying, and it protects people from risky interactions, generally speaking. I think I evolved somewhere because I did get into risky reactions. A lot of times freeze types are going to seek relief in the computer, in reading, in being alone, in watching TV, playing video games. Online shopping was really one of my things. And it was completely 100% a distraction for me. The fun response, you know, the cute little baby deer. People that use or implement the fawn response are those that have learned through, due to their traumatic childhoods or environments that the best way to survive is by extending themselves, overextending themselves to meet everyone else's needs but their own, but their own, but their own, <laughs> to meet everyone else's needs except their own. They put everyone above themselves. They learn that they needed to please their abuser in order to be safe. They have a lack of boundaries, conflict avoidance, a loss of sense of self, and people-pleasing tendencies. People with a fawn response automatically resort to finding a way to be a people-pleaser to end the conflict. Kids will go into a fawn-like stage trying to please their abuser, their caretaker, or whoever by doing what they want so they won't be hurt, so they will be given food, so they'll be given safety, so they'll be able to be hugged and loved. So they're, they're really the people pleasers. And it's so funny as I go through this, I, can, I, I imagine my family as I was growing up. And I can see myself and both of my brothers in different categories in this. And it's just, it's, it's absolutely, um, it's mind blowing is what it is. It's like, my gosh, there's, there's so much I didn't know, which explains why I went through so much trouble and why my one of my brother's experiences shutting down, why my other brother appears to be an alcoholic, why my dad was an alcoholic, all of the numbing agents. A lot of this stuff I didn't understand for so long. But like I said, Pete Walker's book and some others that I'm reading really changed that. Some key signs that you might be using the fawn response are things such as you look to others for how you feel in a relationship or a situation. It's difficult to identify your own feelings, even when you're by yourself. You often feel like you don't have an identity. You're constantly trying to please the people in your life. At the first sign of conflict, your response is to take care of the aggressor and calm them down. It's difficult for you to say no to those around you. You overextend yourself. You feel overwhelmed at times, but if someone asks you to do something else, you're all in. You'll do it because you don't want to say no to them. You lack boundaries and people take advantage of you. And you're really uncomfortable when you're threatened or somebody asks you for your opinion. And I find this paragraph interesting. And this was a page that I found online. I'm not really sure um, where I found it. If I do, I will link it in the comments. But it speaks about individuals with the fawn response pattern can be targeted by those who, who are narcissistic or those who desire to control and manipulate people around them. In these situations, the fawn response creates a dangerous cycle with the narcissistic demanding more and more and the individual with the CPTSD feeling greater levels of anger and guilt. When we look at the four F responses, 
what we have is if you're a flight type, that can correlate to a narcissistic disorder or a narcissistic defense. The flight type can correlate to an obsessive compulsive defense. The freeze type can go to a dissociative defense. The fawn type we can see as a codependent defense. Then with all of the four Fs, there are hybrids there, and I'm not going to go into all of the hybrids in detail, but we have the fight fawn, the fight freeze, the flight freeze. Most trauma survivors have hybrid responses. People generally have two of these responses that they rely on. You can pick and pull a few other experiences or, or reactions out of others, but we really have true that two that we really rely on. And there's something I wanted to go over in my research. I came across something, and it's it was another oh my gosh moment where I realized, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I did to some of my kids. And I tell you, you know, as a parent, you try to do the best you can. There's no rule book. You know what your parents did. You try to do better than they did. And in my case, I sort of tried to go polar opposite. I tried to really let my kids know that they were loved. I told them I loved them every day. I tried to be there for them. I tried to get them into activities. I cooked every night from scratch. They had to be at the table for dinner every night. And our dinners were great. They would be two hours long. Everyone would talk. They would laugh. I really tried to be there for them, but I really went overboard in a lot of ways. I'm just realizing it. Oh my gosh, I am totally mortified because what I set out to do was with good intention. But I really, because of my own trauma type, traumatize some of my kids. And the way I did that was by parentifying one for sure, maybe another of my children. And that's for several reasons. I was very isolated. I didn't understand what the heck was happening with me. I was imploding because of the stress of the marriage and all the kids and the business and everything that was going on, my mental health, I didn't have anybody. And that is no excuse. I wish I had known better. But one of these in parentifying your child is where you have your child is your listener and or your best friend. And I had a child that was my listener and my best friend. And with that child, they knew everything, practically everything. And at the time, I didn't realize what I was doing to that child. Now, I can't believe I did it. And I have to be really careful because I don't have a lot of friends and I've kept a lot of people out of my life it's easy for me to fall back into that. So I have to stay on guard with realizing, okay, this is my child. And of course, they weren't adults at the time. They were younger, which is horrifying. If they were adults, it would have been a lot easier, a lot better to go with them, go to them with some of the things that I was experiencing and some of the things that were happening. And I can see where I scared the heck out of a couple of them to where they felt that they had to take care of me because of my emotional needs and my shortcomings. But like this one really hit me was the parentified child can be the best friend or listener of the parent. Yeah, oh my gosh. Talk about being mortified. And with that same kid... You know what the things that I went through, the um, numbing out, the escape, the running, the trying to distract myself, 
each and every one of my children were affected. But when I read this about best friend and or listener to the parent, I just, I couldn't believe it. Oh my gosh. I did that. And this, this next one here is where the child is seen as an equal rather than the offspring of their parents. Okay, so I sort of had a foot on both sides of that fence, which was had to have been so confusing for the child. I'm thinking about here, I'm seeing them as an equal and we're having fun and we're doing all kinds of cool stuff. But at the same time, I'm your mom. So I wasn't balancing that correctly. And in that, I damaged my, my kid. And I hate that because that's not what I set out to do. And I know none of us set out to do this with the intention of, I'm going to damage my child. It just happens because we are not self-aware. And I know a lot of my kids, not a lot of them, several of them were very aware of me being triggered and the things that were going on. And they tried to be in the middle of that and help me and help what was triggering me and make sure their mom was going to be okay. They were scared to death. They were going to lose their mom because I was scared to get to death. I was going to lose me. Actually, I really wasn't because at that time I really didn't care if I lost me or not. I had tunnel vision and I realize now that it really, it wasn't my, I had no idea. I had no idea at the time what was happening to me. I had no idea what I was doing to my kids. I thought I was doing the best thing. And when in reality, I was not, I was traumatizing my child. And there's no excuse for that. I guess, you know, logically you can say, well, you didn't know. You thought you did the best you could at the time. But as a parent, I think with anything that happens, you look back and you feel responsible. And what could I have done differently? Why didn't I know this? Why did I, why did I do this? What made me feel that this was okay? But you know, I guess I just have to say I did the best at the time with what I had and what I knew. If I could do it all over again, Oh my gosh, I would do things so much differently. As I'm sure my parents would. And I'm sure, pretty sure most of your parents would have. If we had known at the time what we were doing, I think we would have made much different choices. And that that again, that's where this book by Pete Walker comes in. I have learned so much about myself. I've learned so much about what I did to my kids. I've learned about so much in the way I related to my kids, the way I related to my parents, how I related to the outside world, how I turned myself off, how I ran, how I distracted. Oh my gosh. I mean, this book, I think all of the therapy I had pretty much, if this, if I had read this book before I had therapy, I don't really think it I would have been able to see it. I wouldn't have been able to see everything that I'm seeing in it now. And this actually comes from part of the fawn subset or the fawn response. This this paragraph here that I have is reassuring to me. It speaks about the fawn response, which I think is one of my biggest responses. As I said, I can see myself in a lot. I did, I did flee. Um, I did disengage. I still disengage for different reasons, but I do still disengage. But the fawn, my gosh, um, one of the things I think that's very reassuring about that for me is it says, as the fawn type, quickly finds relief in understanding that she is not responsible for the well-being of those around her, her family, or friends. The recovery process can be one of the most reassuring of them all. So I think one of the things with that, you know, reassuring is comforting in one way and another way it's not because I did those things. I have to take responsibility for what I did, even though I had no idea I did it. And I don't really know if there's a way to make that right. You know, I, I want the best for them all, but I certainly would have changed a lot of things 
had I been in the right state, had I been in the right state of mind, my gosh, none of this would have even happened. But now realizing, seeing in black and white, seeing the research, seeing the evidence and realizing what was done to me and in my effort to correct it, I went way too far. And actually pretty much did the same thing to my kids that I, that was done to me. And there's, I can't apologize enough for it. I wish I could change it, like I said, but I know I can't. The only thing I can do is learn, try and let you know, hopefully some, it might spur some of you guys to read this book, reevaluate your triggers, your trauma responses, the fight, flight, fawn and freeze See where you lay or lie in that continuum and look at your choices. Look what you've done and see if there's a way to maybe repair it. Some relationships may not be repairable, but you can always work on yourself. And one thing to know is you are not alone in this game of life. There's people out there that know exactly what you're going through and have gone through. I receive so many emails and so many messages and they're so encouraging. If you guys want to leave them in the comment section and get to know some of the other followers, some of the other viewers, either on YouTube or one of the podcasting platforms, real communities can be formed and can thrive and you could find someone potentially to be there to support you in your, sorry, another ASMR water break. Just a second, more. I know this microphone picks up everything. It's probably really gross. I'm sorry. But to find someone safe, they can be there to support you, not a predator, See, I wasn't good at that. I looked for support in all the wrong places. And that sounds like a cowboy song. Somehow I think it was. I look for something in all the wrong places. And I'm just now realizing it. Now, if I'm 60 and I'm realizing it, and you're listening to this and you're not even 40 yet, you can realize it too. You can change the game. Get rid of the old dominoes. Let's put some new ones out and change the game. Let's get this next generation a lot more mentally stable and emotionally healthy than we are. I'll see you. Thank you for listening to Digging Through Dominoes. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, Connect with Terry on Facebook and Instagram at Digging Through Dominoes, on Twitter at Digging Dominoes, and online at DiggingThroughDominoes.com. Until next time, thank you for listening.